Here's Chavinko. Lovely ball through towards Altidore. Altidore! Toronto FC's big acquisitions combine to tie the game. Josie Altidore. The Two Solid Dude Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. The award-winning soccer podcast that covers every single aspect of Canadian soccer. And now, without further ado, here's Dwayne Rollins. And welcome to the Two Solitudes Podcast. I'm Dwayne Rollins here in Toronto. Kevin Laramay joins me as always in Montreal. Kevin's a bit under the weather yesterday. I had a bit of an issue there, Kevin. I want to tell the listeners about that so they can understand why I did the interview with uh, Dave Clark with Sounder at Heart all by myself. Absolutely. Well, I was kind of in pain all weekend. Saturday, coming uh, coming back from the USL game, I was uh, actually eating, and I broke a tooth while I'm eating. So since then, I've been in pain, been able to soldier through it, recording everything I can today because tomorrow I'm getting surgery. But today... I'll be fine. I have my friend Advil, Origel, and in case, my, even my friend Cody with me, so I should be fine. Today is Fire Two Solitudes podcast brought to you by drugs. Drugs making everything less painful since forever. Since forever. <laughs> yeah. All right. Uh, yeah, it's, for our Five Rings listeners, uh, we don't know whether we're going to be able to get it out tomorrow or not because of Kevin's dental surgery. So we'll let you know on that. But uh, we have some. Uh, we're, we're planning a women's hockey show there, so it should be kind of fun. We've got some guests lined up uh, that, that should should be a good wait if you, once you get it. But anyway, enough of that. Um, today's show, we're we're gonna have uh, Dave Clark, as I said, uh, an interview that I pre-recorded yesterday with Dave about uh, the Sounders, their start, uh, where there's their two team fits, all sorts of good stuff like that. In that interview, that's up next. We're gonna talk about NESL in Canada. Dave, Bill Peterson was on a uh, radio show in Ottawa, talked about the uh, possibility of two to three more Canadian teams in the NESL in the near future. One team is going away from the NASL. That's Minnesota. Minnesota United was named as the latest MLS expansion team. We'll talk a bit about that, what it means to the NASL, what it means about the NASL stability, and what we think about Minnesota from a general perspective because we talk about general MLS issues. Uh, we're going to briefly touch on the USL uh, stuff from this week. We have our own podcast, for those that don't know yet, USL Radio, where you can get all of the in-depth coverage of the USL between TFC2 the Whitecaps 2, FC Montreal, and the rest of that league, uh, you can get that on USL Radio. We'll, uh, we'll, pour, we'll, we'll touch on the Montreal-Toronto game a bit because it was a 4-1 derby, and we got to talk a bit about that, right, Kevin? Yeah, we actually, I guess we have to. All right, we're obviously going to talk about Canada and its two-game winning streak. Wow. And we'll, and we'll, yeah, wow, indeed. And we'll wrap it up with the Canadian Week in Review. Oh, that's a lot, Kevin. Big show in store for you today, folks. All right, we better get at it quick then. And welcome back to the Two Solitudes Podcast. Dwayne Rollins here. Unfortunately, Kevin Laramay is under the weather as I do this interview uh, with Dave Clark from Sounder at Heart. Dave, an old friend, goes back a long way. Uh, good to have, uh, have you on again, Dave. Yeah, it's been a couple of years, but I, I always love talking to you, Dwayne. All right, thanks. Um, let's talk about the Sounders this year so far. And just in a general way, 
you know, it's been disappointing in the playoffs, as we all know. I, I don't know what playoffs are here in Toronto, but you may be able to remind me. But uh, they didn't make a lot of changes this year. They sort of pushed forward to try and finally get over that gap. Do you, do you see, it's early days, but do you think that this is the year that the Sounders will finally figure the, the playoff side of things out? Uh, that's really hard to, you know, um, with what's happened early in the season, the, the focus is always uh, make the playoffs first. And that isn't necessarily the standard for the Sounders. Uh, that, that's like the baseline minimum. I think right now the standard is make the conference final. If they do that, um, it's really hard to call it a failure. Uh, you're in essence competing for trophies. If they can qualify for the Champions League every year, I'm of the opinion that's going to be good enough. Um, but, the, but at the same point, they're starting to look in a, a little bit like an Arsenal does. Uh, you you, you want to see them take home the primary silverware at some point. And it'll all come down to good fortune there at the end and uh, hopefully not have the LA Galaxy in the way. You do, of course, have the Supporters' Shield uh, trophy there. And that, for the hardcore, is, is something that's important. But do you think that that resonated beyond the you know the most informed, most engaged fan? Uh, no, I mean, you kind of have three tiers of fans. You have the, the, the most engaged, the people that read, you know, the center at heart or listen to two solitude. You have your, your, your people who show up to every game. Um, they might not know about it. There's going to be a banner raising. That'll be a big deal. The shield being passed around amongst the fans during the off season was a huge deal. Um, it's clearly a little bit more important than the open cup to those fans, but then you kind of have the third level of fans those that show up for a few games a year that watch on TV regularly, and I don't think they have a clue. And Seattle is a big enough, uh, has a large enough fan base where that that third tier is the broadest tier. Um, you know, there are a hundred thousand people who watch or listen to the radio every week. Um, that's a good strong number, and uh, most of those people probably don't only care about the MLS Cup. Um, and uh, until Waterway and Hanauer get there, uh, those people are going to be disappointed. Let's talk about Garth Lagerwey for a while. He was linked for a lot of a lot of places in the offseason. Toronto, of course, being front and center. A lot of people thought he might be the one to come in and uh, sort of oversee the whole operation. Ended up going to Seattle, which might have surprised a few people. Thought that Seattle had a pretty good thing going on already without adding another piece. Uh, how has he changed the front office? It's early days yet, but from your perspective, how has he changed the front office so far? His changes so far are pretty minor. Uh, the, the biggest shift is that Adrian Anauer is now one of the talent scouts rather than the top of that portion of the organization. So you have uh, Lagerway, Hanauer, Schmidt, and uh, Chris Henderson all working in talent evaluation as well as a, a couple other uh, full-time scouts and the head coaches. Hanauer now can focus more on the business side of things where uh, you know a lot of attention gets paid to the success in Seattle, but They've, uh, they've left some money on the table. Last year, they didn't manage to uh, set an attendance record, which was a, uh, a failure that they saw. They did, they did get huge uh, TV ratings boosts, but Hanauer is going to focus a little bit more on that and be more of the business side of things, um, which should be interesting because uh, there are growth opportunities there. Seattle, uh, uh, I, thought, I think the last Nielsen survey said that the Sounders only had a penetration is somewhere around 25 to 30% of the, the overall market here, which is great for an MLS team, but they don't consider themselves comparable to MLS teams. They want to make impacts like uh, baseball and basketball do do here, and that means that 
further expanding their uh, their reach into the fan to overall sports fans as well as they still need to pull in a lot of uh, the Liga MX fans that live in the area. A lot of those aren't paying attention to the Sounders like they could. So that's kind of where Hanauer is going to focus. Lagerway's impact on the field and, and within the roster is still really, really small. Um, a lot of what was done with uh, their off-season signings are things that would have happened with Hanauer. Fair enough. A bit outside the box, this question, but uh, just occurred to me, did the, the success of the Seahawks over the last two years, do you think that's helped or hindered the uh, the Sounders' growth? Oh, um, I don't know. That, that's a, an interesting thought experiment. Um, it's funny because the organizations uh, separated last uh, April, and so some of the synergies that could have happened um, due to the Seahawks' popularity didn't because they, they're no longer in the same building. The business side of things, they're no longer doing joint sales for sponsorships. So that probably hurt a little bit. Um, separating off during one of the organization's peak times um, removed that, the, the chance for, the, for synergy. Um, at the same point, the NFL fan base and the MLS fan base and the soccer fan base are just so different um, that who knows how much of that synergy could be there. The, the overlap between season ticket sales was only 3 to 5%. Um, so when you think of it that way, it's like, yeah, they they were at three to five percent when the uh, the opportunity for synergy was there. So maybe uh, that's a sign that they didn't need it after all. Right. It, it just just occurred to me. It's an interesting sort of thought experiment, as you said. Um, something a more pragmatic. Uh, you know, in terms of one of the biggest changes in in Seattle, along with another few uh, teams in the league this year, has been the addition of the two teams, the uh, USL partnership teams. Um, talk about that and how it relates and how it's going to help the Sounders won as they move forward having that S2 team there now? I think the best example of that is the, the loss of Sean Coley to England. Um, he didn't get it. If S2 had existed last year, he would have been playing extensively down there as a starting forward and getting a lot of minutes and being able to prove himself. Instead, his only opportunity was to prove himself in practice, something that didn't happen enough. So he went from a hot start early last season to basically being a forgotten man um, losing a role here in Seattle and eventually working um, with Seattle and New England to make his way over there where he thought he'd get more playing time. This year with S2 around, you have homegrown players like Darwin Jones, Aaron Kovar, and um, and Victor Mansuray, who's still a high school student, um, getting a mix of playing time at both the uh, first team and S2 level. Mansuray uh, came on against Dallas, uh, made an impact, didn't score a goal, but had a, uh, a near assist that um, was just missed due to a, a, a tackle foul on, um, by Dallas on Andy Rose. Um, if uh, the difference now is that those homegrowns are getting their opportunity, they're getting the, the chance to show themselves in Ray Green at the lower level, earn their way up, and uh, should be able to make an impact. Um, Seattle's academy produced a lot of talent capable of playing at the senior level. Um, they just didn't get the chance before. Now they have it. Fair enough. Final question. We'll move away from Seattle specifically and talk league-wide. One of the hot talking points so far this year has been the quality of play overall in the league, and it's led some people to speculate that maybe the rapid expansion might be dragging down the overall quality 
of the play so far. Uh, do you think that that's maybe too much of a hot take and, and we need to let the season play out more, or is there something to that idea that the, the talent level is getting a little too diluted? Well, I'd, I'd say that if people think the talent level is too diluted, that means that they feel that there aren't enough uh, players of MLS talent around the world to be brought in and signed. Um, personally, I think that's a myth. I think there's several thousand players that are MLS level or better. I think we saw several of them get brought in during this uh, during this last off season. There are some injuries. There's the idiocy of playing through the international break where you just took uh, 10% of the league and probably half of the top 20% of the talent in the league away from uh, from their teams. So when you do that, that's going to make expansion look like the issue. But in my mind, as long as you're bringing in teams that have academies available and uh, are playing at lower levels, so a team like a Minnesota or an Orlando, that's not going to hurt you. A Sacramento wouldn't hurt um, as long as you're upping the uh, the salary cap, which they did in a uh, substantial but maybe not enough to, to reach their, their goals and dreams. Um, I think that that continues. I don't think that that dilution is the issue with expansion. There's an issue with dilution of the referee pool and the coaching pool that I think can't quite get addressed with just going out and just signing the best Americans and bringing them back and then signing internationals to fill those international slots. I think that's a bigger issue with expansion. Fair enough. I think we're one day going to have to have a referee show on this and really dive into that. It's a, another issue. We saw it in the Salt Lake uh, TFC game last night. We're not too sure why TFC had a goal disallowed, but uh, we'll talk about that later in the show. All right, Dave, and before we do that, let the, let the listeners know that haven't that don't know where to find you. Yeah, uh, I'm the manager at sounderandheart.com. Uh, you can find us on the web there. We're on Twitter at sounderandheart, all one word, and then um, Facebook. Uh, slash sounder at heart. Uh, again, all one word, the only S is at the beginning. All right, Dave Clark, he's uh, one of the older ones now. It's uh, We've been doing this a long time, haven't we? Yeah, we first started talking, I think, March of 09. Good God, we're all old. All right, Dave, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, thanks for joining Cheers. And thanks again to Dave. Uh, the Sounders, Dave has never had the uh, experience that I have, Kevin. Dave has, has, since day one, covered a very good and successful and competent uh, MLS team. And one day I hope to have some understanding of what Dave's life has been as the uh, manager of Sounder at Heart. But eh, you never know with TFC. You just never really know, or Canadian soccer for that matter. Exactly. When you're looking at the fan base of uh, Seattle, too, compared to, example, Toronto, because there's teams that are similar in their history and everything to me. And when you look at it, the cynicism in Toronto compared to Seattle can be explained by what they had to endure since day one. Well, yeah, I mean, Seattle once gave their money back because a bunch of guys traveled to a game where they lost like 4-0 to Dallas or something. Well, if TFC was giving their money back every time we had a bad loss, my God, 
MLSC be broke, which may be a good thing. I don't know. Anyway, I digress. Uh, the Sounders look like they're going to be up there near the top again this year. It's going to be a long time before, before that club dips down because once you have success in MLS, you can, if you know what you're doing, you can sustain it for a lot of years because, uh, you know, lacking the ability to outbid for players, one of the uh, attractions for uh, international guys coming in is just success, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, that's the one thing that cannot be bought is championship it can be in the long run but what i mean is when you're the galaxy and trying to recruit a new player when you're seattle trying to recruit the one piece that's missing well when you're saying look i got a dempsey guy here or i got a robbie Keane here that's already here to win with your presence we can maybe almost guarantee it so yeah it does help in the uh, attraction of a player yeah and it's interesting we're going to talk about the two teams in a bit and right now seattle looks like they may be one of the favorites to win the usl league there based it's only two weeks so we got to be careful <laughs> to say that but but they have certainly looked very impressive out of the gate. Um, that's a lot of the, we've got a lot of guys that came through the NASL. They got a few guys, or sorry, the NCAA. I keep getting my ends mixed up, my acronym ends. But anyway, the NCAA. Uh, they've got a lot of guys that uh, that are coming through their academy too. So you know, if you're got that lower system feeding into your upper system, you can get that cycle going, and they they could be a dangerous team for a lot of years. In terms of their playoff stuff, Kevin. You know, I asked Dave in that whether this was the year they were going to get over that playoff hump. I think that the problem and the thing that a lot of people have trouble getting their wrapping their heads around is the playoffs are a lot about luck. We talked about this last year. Mm-hmm. I, you know, the Sounders maybe their fans don't necessarily appreciate their their casual fans, as Dave said, or their their less engaged fans don't necessarily appreciate the supporters' shield. But the reality is that is a reflection of, of success in a, in a way that the playoffs sometimes aren't. Now that said, Dave is also right. That's what matters to fans, and they've got to figure out a way to win those games or at least to get a little lucky. But if they keep getting back to the dance, hey, the Colorado Rapids won an MLS Cup, so if they keep getting back, they're going to eventually win it. Who, the, the Colorado Rapids? Are you talking about the goal, the team that's goalless in Major League Soccer and in United Soccer League play? Yeah, they are, and you know what? If TFC, they, the record is 824 minutes, and those of if us in Toronto combine, know. If you combine the, the games, is it that already? Yeah, well, no, it's not there yet. But if you look, they're they're at five something, five ten, I believe, is what their scoreless streak are. The the Rapids right now, and their next they Dallas twice in their next two games, Seattle mm. once, and I'm trying to, and I think it's the Galaxy or some other, or maybe RSL. There's a other team. There are four good teams that are their next four games. So you never know. I mean, they haven't allowed a goal either. That's the thing either. <laughs> so it's like half full, half empty. The way you want to look at that, but three goalless draws. Three scoreless draws. Yeah, it's funny that we talked about Seattle earlier. There's a big rumor going on on Twitter right now, and it concerns the impact, it concerns Seattle, and it concerns Kanye Cooper. This is an unconfirmed rumor. We're trying to get confirmation, but nothing official as of we're recording this. And if you're listening to this, maybe it's already been done. Maybe the trade's been officialized. But right now it's Tuesday, about 5.30, and it's an unconfirmed rumor. But the impact do need the striker. It would... fit the profile of what the impact would need somebody experienced in the league and Kenny Cooper is looking for a place to play so who knows if that's true or not yeah yeah I mean that's the rumor is basically what I've heard is similar to what a lot of people have heard is the impactor in the market for a striker that would make sense with Cameron Porter going down um they you know they're hoping to play on two fronts again this year at the very least they have the Voices Cups games to figure out um so, you know, they got a guy, Kenny Cooper, an established uh, player that uh, was effective in a sort of reserve role for, for Seattle last year. Big player on their U.S. Open Cup run. Makes a lot of sense, right? It would, and his type of play is more reminiscent of a 
of a Cameron Porter, of a blue-collar type of striker, which is not going to try to finesse every shot, but more going to work hard and and gain momentum and create some momentum in the game like Cameron Porter was able to do in his short career in Major League so far. I can't stress enough that he played basically under 200 minutes and he already had a great impact, no pun intended, on the team and the way they played on the field. Yeah, absolutely. Sad, sad injury there. As for those who don't know, uh, I think we touched on it. It wasn't quite official yet of what it was, but it does does now look like he is out for the year. Yep. Nine to 12 months, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it's nine months or 12 yeah. It's unfortunate, but uh, you, you hope that he can come back for next year. Certainly a big blow there. Um, we're going to touch on the impact, of course, more in our final segment here uh, and talk about TFC or sorry, the FC Montreal a bit in a little later. But let's move on now, Kevin, and talk about some uh, comments that Bill Peterson made to uh, the Ottawa radio show Corner Kicks, which is on the uh, TSN radio station there. Um, he was talking about MLS or sorry, NESL expansion. Too many leagues, too many leagues. <laughs> too many soccer, too much soccer. NASL expansion in Canada, and, and he basically said, uh, you know, I, I encourage you to seek the interview and listen to it for yourself, but if you can tell by his voice that there was sort of a, you know what, I kind of screwed up, I kind of dropped the ball kind of tone to his voice, and he even said, I, I take full responsibility that we sort of got, he used the word distracted last year by other stuff and didn't really prioritize the Canadian expansion side of things, and he said that was a mistake because Canada is going to play, quote unquote, a big role in what they visualize themselves doing. And he wants to have between four and five teams ultimately in, in NASL, in NASL's final outlook, which should be about 20 teams. So he's looking at about one quarter of the league being Canadian. Um, he also went on to say that he's expecting to, to put together a group in the next little bit. He sort of said April after the season gets launched and they get all that sort of stuff done. That he's going to put a group together, a focus group, focused on the Canadian side of things to get two to three teams in the near future started up. So that's... You know, we'll take them at face value and, and call that good news for now. And the CFL connection has, have been mentioned in that interview as well. So what we reported last year on this very show could still happen, even just a division in, in ASL. Yeah, it's very frustrating to people. It's very frustrating to me how things have been flow in this world, that there is work being done at the NASL level with the CFL, with the CSA to try and get some stuff done. Now, it falls on and off the back burner. Things get happen, and it doesn't happen as quickly as we want because we want it to happen yesterday. The reality is that there have been these talks, and they will continue to be talks, and there will continue to be movement. I think that what they're now looking at, and I think it's pretty clear based if you look at what they're saying, is that they're looking at having adding teams first, letting these teams establish themselves in their community and work towards the point that they have enough teams either in the USL level or at the NASL level or, or what have you that can then move up and create this Canadian league. I know for an absolute fact that there are enough people within the CSA hierarchy that, that are very interested and remain committed to this idea. But in the meantime, let's look at the NASL in Canada. As long as you know they are respecting the Canadian player and they kind of have to by necessity and if you look at both Edmonton and Ottawa there is a great deal of Canadian content on those teams so that is a good thing and both of those those teams have set up academies and that's a good thing so if you, that would be what my minimum expectation would be of two two to three teams that were coming in the NASL that they respect the Canadian quota respect the localness needs and also create academies attached to them if they do that then I think it's wonderful news if they are two to three more NASL teams coming in Canada Here's an idea for you. Do you think that the academy that are already existing 
in this world, the private ones. We're talking about ACP in Montreal, Sigma FC. Could you think that they, they can have a side in a potential USL or NASL league or division? I think they have a role to play. And what I've heard um, from several people now is that Sigma is absolutely going to have a role to play in a potential team in Hamilton. That they may even be contracted out by the Hamilton ownership group, which is mostly – most of its expertise is on the CFL thing. I don't think it's a secret that it's just the Tiger Cats ownership that's involved in the NASL side of things. Um, I mean it, it's not even a secret at all. Everyone understands that. But they don't have a ton of experience. Are the Steelers are going to come back? Is that what you're saying? Uh, yeah, Hamilton is is pretty pretty much the f- number one uh, Canadian uh, possibility. That it's by and large, like Bill Peterson in the interview in Ottawa absolutely said Hamilton by name. I uh, said that that was probably the most likely possibility, um, and attached to the Ticats Ticats ownership group. What I was saying a moment ago though is that Sigma Academy, uh, I have heard from a couple different people, would then be contracted, basically would be partnered with. Uh, the, the Tiger Cats to run the soccer side of their operation. So not only would Sigma be there, they would be absolutely running the team. That's what I've heard would be how they would set that thing up. Because that would be the logical uh, progression of an academy that's slowly making their way up that famous development pyramid, just missing the top tier. And that would be one way to get that top tier higher than a League One or semi-pro level. Yeah, and it, it create an interesting dynamic and competition here in the GTA. I mean, Hamilton is technically golden horseshoe versus gta but we're semantics when we talk about that stuff yeah um if you have sigma operating as their academy and operating as their technical advisors then you have a great competition within this talent rich area of the country to demand more and professionalism out of out of out of each other i'm talking about tfc versus sigma which is already happening to a certain extent but i think that having them attached to an nsl side would would amp that up even more now there's a lot of people that would dream of having two teams in the gta and the nsl with one attached to toronto directly now that's uh there are groups out there that have interest in that that i've heard many times and mentioned before in the show and i think that that they're they're to rebirth the, the blizzard if they could get that name and I think they need to get that name for it to be successful because there is enough nostalgia out there uh, for that name in this city that, that it might work it would work uh, now the timing would be good now because of the nostalgic aspect of our society everything that's nostalgic is working right now yeah well you also you know between those that are nostalgic for it those that reject the MLS model uh, the those that reject the MLS model exist in Canada as well as the United States. We don't need to talk about the United States folks. We know who they are. But uh, <laughs> there are similar similar-minded people here in Canada. Um, and those that are just sick of MLSE uh, would, I think, give them enough of a, of a t- season ticket base right off the, off the hop that would make a team in Toronto successful. We've had this conversation before. There's no sense to belaboring it. The other cities that were mentioned were uh, Calgary and Winnipeg. Both of them are CFL ownership groups. Both of them have stadiums. There is talk of a stadium plan in Calgary. Uh, the, the Flames would be involved with that too, so there would be a lot of money there. I think that the Calgary, from what I've heard several times before, that their aspirations may go beyond NASL. Um, when we're talking about the Flames ownership group t- teaming up with with some local people, maybe Foothills, I'm not sure. Uh, that's that's a bit of speculation in my part, a similar makeup as, uh, as Sigmund, as I just mentioned ago. Uh, to create a team that is then does the Sacramento Orlando kind of jig mm-hmm. and eventually uh, tries to make a move up into the um, into the Major League Soccer, that's that's maybe something that you might see happen there. 
And uh, we have news this week that a team does, in fact, going to make that move up to Major League Soccer, Dwayne. Yeah, Minnesota United. Uh, you know, this has been well covered in the American podcast world, so we're not going to belabor it from that side of things. But it is worth mentioning here. Another northern team uh, be the second most northern team, I believe, in the league now uh, behind Vancouver. I believe Vancouver would still be a higher level of uh, northernness, but uh, so they can have We Are the North, I guess, if you want Vancouver. <laughs> However, uh, yeah, no, it's it's good, and it's funny because I remember I've talked to Minnesota people, and we had Brian uh, Q on here from from uh, in, uh, in Northern Minnesota Pitch Soccer from Northern yeah, Pitch Northern Pitch now. And uh, we tried to get him on for this show, actually, too. And he's just so overwhelmed with requests right now that basically what I did is I, I decided with him uh, that we would have him on in a couple weeks when the when the United starts their, their NASL season and talk about that, too, because that's part of our focus on this show, right, is we want to talk about the here and now as well as the future. But at any rate, we, I, I remember talking to those guys when we weren't even sure whether Minnesota was going to have a team. I remember when uh, they first were they bordering on – Extinction, and it's been a remarkable turnaround, and it shows just how you know we don't have promotion and relegation in North America, but what we do have is financial promotion in North America. If you can prove, and this has been shown time and time again, that you have a market that is passionate about the game and will support the game at its grassroots, you can get the attention of Major League Soccer, even if, as long as you have ownership in a stadium, yeah. even if you're from a less sexy market. I don't know if Minnesota is necessarily as they're not as sexy as Miami. We know that for sure, right? No, but there might be. They might have a team way before Miami. Exactly, uh, and that has to do with getting all the ducks in order. Sacramento. I think we all understand that Sacramento is more than likely the next team in, and I don't think Sac. There's no one on earth would have had Sacramento on their radar three or four years ago until they started to do what they were doing at the local level. So my message about this is when we're talking about Canadian NESL teams, if you believe in MLS as, as the ultimate goal, and you know there's a debate to be had about that, which I'm not going to have today, but if you do believe in that, then support it. Get out there. Make sure that you're making a passionate crowd. And I'm talking to you, Ottawa. I'm talking to you, even Edmonton, if you could get it moving. I think Ottawa's got the better chance with the stadium they have there. Certainly if a Calgary team got in there and was able to show that they, they had the passion behind it as well. It, the possibilities are there. MLS is ultimately a cynical league when it comes to this stuff. If there's a Canadian market out there that does a Sacramento, that is getting out in huge numbers, it has the ownership group behind it, and the NHL guys are well off, so you know the ownership money's there. If you can get tied in with that, they're going to come up. They're going to bring another team up here. If you, you know, whether that's the right way forward for Canadian soccer is a very interesting question that we're not going to explore any further today. No, but if you look, Dwayne, in the last four expansions that have been announced or yeah, announced basically because you remember Atlanta, Miami, Orlando, which made the transition and became a team this year. Minnesota now, the ones that have been the most successful out of those ones are the ones that had the grassroots support, the supporters, and played already. The team created out of nowhere have such a hump of workload to overcome because they start from scratch. Yeah, it can be done. But if you look at Orlando, Minnesota, I think they deserve those organizations deserve the chance to run a team at that level because they have proven what they can do. And I think that's worth a lot more. The support and the organization, the head office, this is worth more to a new franchise than to start a team from scratch like Miami, which I don't even think it's ever going to happen. Or Atlanta, we keep forgetting. But Atlanta's been named to have a team too, and everything's still forgotten about it. 
Yeah, well, Atlanta's selling a lot of the deposits and their tickets and all that, and they seem to be ready to go. There, Arthur Black's attached to that, so the money's there. Mm-hmm. Um, you think about it, though, these – yeah, you're right, Kevin. There's two different types of franchises that have come in as expansion teams in MLS in the last few years. There's the teams that have come in as pre-existing franchises, um, Impact, the Whitecaps, and there's teams that have come in it's as – true. You can, yeah, you can go far as the Impact and the, uh, the Whitecaps, Portland and Seattle. Yeah, and well, there's teams that are poof out of thin air, TFC, Philly, right? Um and NYCFC. So that's the different models. I, I don't know how many more markets there are in the United States that are going to be poof markets. There's not a lot of big cities yet. I'm trying to think off the Phoenix maybe. Look, Might at, be the only look at LA. Chivas didn't work and that's what it was and it's not where it didn't work. And so they're, they're going to restart it with LA too, whatever yeah. that's going to happen. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But I, you know, in terms of big markets that don't have a team right now, I'm trying to think. Off the top of my head, the only one I can think of is Phoenix. And Phoenix has never really shown much desire for, for sports. sports anywhere. So I don't know whether that's a place that they're going to bring in. Vegas, maybe. We've heard some talk about Vegas. Vegas made some noise about it. Uh, one league is eventually going to bite that Vegas bullet. I don't know if Major League Soccer is necessarily the right one to go in. So what I'm getting at with this, though, is I think we're running out of big markets that are going to demand things be created enough which will the door for some smaller markets that can prove themselves, that can get promoted, so to speak, financially through their, their success at the level. And I think once we get past all of these major markets, all of these media markets in the United States getting filled in, which is happening right now, then I think that does put Canadian expansion and MLS back on the table. If they get up to 30 eventually, there will be another Canadian team if, if Canada remains in the league, and there's no indication they're not going to at this point. So... You know, I, I think that uh, we have to start thinking that way and have to start speculating on which which Canadian city is most likely to have that happen to. Exactly, and if, if you put yourself in the shoes of a USL and NSL team, your supporter, all right, and you see all those teams graduating to MLS from lower levels to the big leagues, and you're thinking that it is possible if I do support this team, if I do work enough as a supporter to gather my friends, to get people to that stadium, to support that team enough that one day they might do that transition no matter where you are. So the new team is St. Louis, Louisville. The USL team have the blueprint made by Orlando. If you're in the NSL, you got the blueprint by the Minnesotas of this world and the Montreal and Vancouver. So it is possible. So when you're a fan, it even... The fact that those teams made it to MLS brings a, a spotlight even to those USL teams because the fan support, the grassroots, can have hope and belief that even if they're a small market, if they do believe in, in it hard enough and put their wallet where their mouth is, well, they can make it there eventually. Yeah. I, you know, final, final question on this one, and I think about this all the time. I think... What do you think their number is? You know, obviously it's not 20. <laughs> uh, it might not even be 24. I don't think they have a number other than maybe 40. And that sounds absurd when I say that out loud. No, but no, I, you're I right. think you shouldn't limit yourself. I, I think that might be what they have in mind. If they get to 40, they could have two conferences of 20. And then you would have your pro relegation. And I think that you could, but I think what would be more likely is a West and an East. <laughs> and then there would be an MLB type playoff the at Super the end. Super Bowl at the end. Yeah, I think that's more what they have in mind. There will, I, I, I'll go on record right now. Um, my cat will fly before there will be promotion and relegation in North American soccer. Well, nice. I would love to see that. Yeah, he'll fly around and still bother me for food in the middle of the night. But at any rate, 
Um, that's uh, real quickly, Kevin. You were at the uh, FC Montreal debut game against T- TFC 2, uh, 2-0 win for TFC. I think a slightly more seasoned TFC team to a very green uh, FC Montreal team is a fair way to put it. What was your uh, – you can listen to more of this on USL Radio, by the way. But real quickly, what was your takeaway for those that don't listen to that show? Uh, my big opinion on this match, uh, one thing that I didn't touch on USL Radio is the fact that Montreal is using the tape same type of tactic and schematic as the impact. So FC Montreal has a continuation with the tactics, and I think that explains in a nutshell the, the philosophy of this team. It's a continuation of the pyramid of the academy, and you can see that on the pitch. Yes, they were a little smaller. Yes, it was harder for them to compete physically in the beginning. They found a way around that with their skills and their technical abilities that have been built from years and years in the academy and playing together for about six to seven years. If you're looking at the core of this team, have been together for a long time since the beginning of the academy. So it's the first beginning of the team that made its way through the ranks. And now they all became professional this Saturday. And it's a historical moment. It's a team entirely made of academy players, except one or two that have been loaned, like the, this week, as soon Kamara played. He was suspended in MLS, but did play in this game. And you had LBG, who's been signed with the roster for the entire season. So he's part of the roster. He's not going to be one of the five that can transition whenever they want. But I do think that it's an historical moment. And an entire squad of players from homegrown academy players becoming professional together, playing six, seven years. And that's the basis of a good academy, of a good club. And we're starting to see this. And if you would tell me this four years ago, I would not have believed it. But now Montreal's got two professional soccer clubs. And there's a relationship between the two. It's the same club. So that's what really gets me excited about this season in in the USL. Yeah. uh, A lot of people dismissed the USL uh, change when it happened. They they sort of said, oh, what? It's just the Reserve League. It's not just the Reserve League. It's It's a a separate league. Yeah, it's it's another league. Yeah, and I think that those people were just kind of ignorant to to what it was, and I think they'll see soon enough what the, what this can provide. It is a great opportunity. Um, you know, quickly on the TFC side, uh, you know, haven't had a chance to see them in the flesh yet. I've gone up, uh, uh, you know, I saw them a lot last year. A lot of these guys for the League One team, so you know, I know know of these players. Uh, Moba Bully is obviously the the breakout. Yeah, he's here. a stand out in that, that game by far. Yeah, and he's a player that I'm very familiar with. I've talked about on this on this podcast before. Um, he's making people stand up and take notice right now, and that that's going to increase the pressure to to rush him to the TFC one to give him a shot in MLS. What I've heard is that they they don't want to do that. They don't want to rush Jordan Hamilton or Moba Bully. That they think both of those are guys that need a little maturity in terms of the emotional maturity. And they think a year in USL will be wonder, do wonders for that to make themselves go through a full up and down pro season, um, not rush them for once, which has always been TFCs or Toronto sports in general is great failing. And I, I would urge, and I, I think that's the right approach. And I would urge, and I think most fans do understand this. So I would urge those that don't though, uh, to just be patient with them and enjoy watching them in USL pro for this. Or it's not USL pro. There's my first slip up drink every time I say that. Eh? Hey, don't um, worry. People are still writing this mishap they're still calling usl pro when it's the usl now yeah the, i think that uh, we should just enjoy them in usl for the year and and not rush things but certainly 
Uh, you know, maybe bring them up for a friendly if they have one midseason. Maybe bring them up for a for a Blazers Cup game if that's that's appropriate. I, I think something like that might work out, and you could uh, you can loan them a little bit more flexible there. Yeah. Uh, All right. One, one little point that I wanted to touch, Dwayne, is the the thing they can learn as if you're just looking at the academy model now. The game they're playing, they're a different level than last year, and that includes the referee, the referee calls, how that could. Im- it have impact on the game and it did have certain impact on the game certain calls went one way or the other and it did fluster some players and there's those are situation that you don't get in the pdl that you don't get in other level and you don't get in a recreational or just a keep informed type of league you get in the summer those situations you can only face them in a real league where it's competition and a prize at the end. When you get two people that want to get the same ball and do hard fouls, hard tackles, and the referee has to make a call, and if you don't agree, you get flustered, it affects your play, you can then get beat and scored on. We see those type of things happen in the game on Saturday, and you learn so much more in the game like this than you did in a PDL game. And just looking at those two type of different games, that's this really stands out. Yeah, it, it's going to be good, and and I, you know, it's affordable. It's really affordable in Montreal. Just you know, it's a subway token is what it's going to cost you to get up there, um, or gas in your car, or whatever, what have you. It's up on the mountain, isn't it? Uh, right now, it's going to be most of the games at Satsaputo or the the turf field on the side that's uh, just been done last year. Okay, so it's right, right there. It's easy, easy, easy peasy. Um, TFC is going to be a little harder to get to. It's up in Woodbridge at the the Ontario Soccer Center. Although the first two games are at Beemel Field, they'll be free to anyone to get in. After that, it's about ten bucks to get in game by game. So, uh, urge you to do that. I enjoyed it a great deal last year when TFC was going into the toilet last year. What kept me sane was going up to watch those kids play because they play, you know, pure. They're trying to trying to get advance their career. There's no competing egos or anything like that in that level. It's all about getting uh, getting better, and it's uh, something that I enjoy a great deal. All right, let's take a quick break, Kevin. Uh, come back, and we're going to talk about the red-hot Canadian men's national team. Exactly, and if you just like our conversation that we just had, listen to USL Radio, the only show entirely dedicated to the USL, and it's the most popular USL Radio show as well. So uh, come back after the break. For the best in freshly baked products, you need to visit Phillips Bakery in Lower Middle Street. They cater to all your baking needs, so let them do the baking for you. For your sandwich loaves, whole wheat, hot dog, and hamburger loaves, doughboy, raisin rolls, coconut slices, and other sweet delicacies. Regular and special sweet bread, homemade loaves, and much more. Not to forget their tasty black fruit or plain cake prepared for any occasion. Phillips Bakery on Lower Middle Street, next to the Kingstown Line. Come in today or telephone 457-2869. Phillips Bakery, a step above the rest. And today's Canada Report brought to you by Phillips Bakery. On Lower Main Street. It's down by the library there, guys. All right. I hope you enjoyed that blast from the past, Voyagers. Um, Canada, two-game winning streak, Kevin. What the hell? (laughs) Four goals against Neil in two games. Can you believe it? Yeah, now you're going to believe us. You're going to believe something anyway. No, it's good. It's good. And we also know what uh, what our, our first round of World Cup qualifying is Dominica. We That was confirmed on Sunday. Canada v. Dominica. Tickets will be soon. We'll make sure to get that information out there to fill BMO Field up for the first leg. For some reason, they have the second leg. I'm not sure how that worked out. But at any rate, um, should be a fairly easy touch there, you would hope. I think that playing Puerto Rico was important to go down and play on an island, play in the crap humidity and and bumpy field yeah yeah and just get used to it and 
break down an opposition that's bunkering for you because that's what they're going to get against Dominican. All they really need to do to beat the team like that is to not get panicked if it takes 20 or 30 minutes to find a goal. Because as long as you don't allow and you keep playing your game, you will break them down eventually because they really are amateurs in a lot of ways and you will eventually find your way through, especially when you're you know adding Atiba Hutchison or in Hume or other yeah, longtime professionals into the lineup than they had last night. But in terms of these last two games, I think that the, you know, the Guatemala game is the more important one to me, other than what I just mentioned. I think they played Puerto Rico to get themselves used to playing in the Caribbean. And that's a difference from past TFCs that they're or past TFC, past Canada, that they're, they're looking in that way, that they're thinking about those things and they're, getting them down in that environment so they've experienced that environment together as a team before they get down there to play a real thing because the worst case scenario kevin would be some kind of disaster happens in the caribbean and we go out before the semifinal rounds i that would be horrible yeah that would be the worst ever but uh just to go back to your quick point of trying to not panic when you have a team that's gonna like you say park the bus 11 behind the ball literally well you have to not panic you have to Keep putting pressure, and like you say, eventually they'll make that mistake because not we don't want to say this in a bad way, not that they're amateurs, but practically that's basically the amount of experience and uh, playing time they do get. So uh, Canada should have the advantage. Yeah, look, I, I hope that beating Puerto Rico 3-0, even though we couldn't see the game because of Wi-Fi problems <laughs> in Puerto Rico. We which... saw pictures. We saw the well, we saw the post game too. They did what they could. I mean, and the game's guys, available now on CanadaSoccer.com, by the way. Yeah, if you want to watch it now, you can. And uh, Kyle Aaron with his first goal too. I, I tweeted out a vine of that. If you want to just look for that in my twenty fourth minute feed. But at any rate, um, it, I hope that that result at least took the truly hyperbolic panic folks out there that we're we are in fact better than Caribbean nations. Okay, you know. We, Puerto Rico is one of the better Caribbean nations, and they handled them pretty easily. I, they didn't draw Cuba in this round or anything like that. Dominica is, you know, what? Like, how big's Dominica? Like, 20,000 people? I don't even know. Do you know where Dominica Have you been to Dominica, Kevin? Nope. Okay. I've been to a few Caribbean islands. Dominic, the Dominican of, Republic, but never to Dominica. Dominica. I, like, I don't know. Like, it's, it's, it's not going to be a challenge, guys. They just have to get through that. It's good to have the game at Bemo Field to just get your kinks out, to play a, a game that matters, that you have to play with that pressure attached to it. It's, it's good. And by and large, if you look at the way the draw is out there, they're going to have a fairly easy touch in the next round too. And then the semifinal roll, round rolls around, and that's what matters. And the way this is set up, we could be playing games at Bemo in November this year, and that, we, you know, I think that the next thing that we need to do is take advantage of those home games back then. But we're a long way off. Snow um, Classico we, in Toronto. We just need to, yeah. I don't think anyone has any expectations for this cycle beyond making the semifinal round. But I am hopeful, more hopeful now that they can be competitive in qualifying in a way that makes us at least experience a little bit of hope, experience a little bit of something. I, I want I want to be upset when they're eliminated, Kevin. I don't want to be like, oh, okay, well, I guess it's done now and now we wait to Qatar. No, I don't want that. I want to actually have like a moment of like, oh my God, maybe we could get through. That's all I want from this cycle, logically. Emotionally, I want to, I want to you know, be bawling my eyes out listening to Canada in Moscow, but that's realistically not going to happen. So you're on a quest for a moment. Yeah, I want, 
I, you know, I remember the last qualifying. I mean, everyone, we're so blinded by A1 that we forget those great moments. The goal against Panama, the end of the game against Cuba where they handled it. Even just the way that they controlled the game against Honduras at home. The crowds in Toronto, the march to the stadium. There were so many moments in that qualifying campaign that were so good that were lost because of 90 horrific, unforgivable minutes. But we need to get – I just want some moments. I don't – I want moments that don't end the way they ended last time. If they end with a 3-1 loss that they were outplayed but they were there and they did what they could, then fine. Just don't make me want to strangle them all collectively at the end of it and I'll be happy this time. Hey, it seems fair enough to me. Yeah. Um, look, the Guatemala game I think was an important win because that was a legitimate – type of competition that they're going to have to beat to get out of that semifinal round. It's going to be very difficult to get out of that semifinal round, but if they can get results against teams like that, they have a chance. And further to that point, that leads us to the Gold Cup, and I think that that's the most important setup that we have now, and what we're all working towards right now, is to have a decent Gold Cup. I, as we talked about in the previous show, think that it's ridiculous to suggest that they don't have a chance to get into that group. They can get it. They can beat Jamaica. They've beaten Jamaica in the last year. They can beat El Salvador. If they can do that, Costa Rica might be too much. So be it. Just get us to a quarterfinal match. And once you're in a quarterfinal, God knows. Richard Hastings, folks. Richard Hastings. You never know. You do never know. All right. Let's take a quick break. Come back. Canadian Review. Thanks for listening to the Two Solitudes Soccer Podcast with Dwayne Rollins and Kevin Laramie. You can become a patron of the show and support the grassroots coverage of Canadian soccer as a whole. Patreon.com slash Two Solitudes Five Rings. Pledge to the show and help the show go even further in the coverage of the beautiful game in our gold country. Canadian Review on the Two Solid Dudes Soccer Podcast. And we're back. Kevin, what are your thoughts on Kaka? Uh, yeah, I'm surprised by the impact, no pun intended. Again, I think it's the third time I say this on this show, but I'm surprised by how well and how good he's playing in MLS so far, how with simple movements, simple touches, and even some not simple one when he flicked balls over player, over defenders, we, we saw this Saturday and you're not used to. Uh, I'm surprised by the level that he's playing right now. I Watching Kaká play the last couple of years, I was not expecting him to play that way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you just kind of betrayed the idea that MLS is as <laughs> close to those leagues in quality yet. But at any rate, we digress from there. He comes back like after three, four years of basically not really playing full time. Comes in after three games, leaves a really good impression on the field. He is absolutely one of the most talented players, if not the most talented player in the league right now. He is, from my opinion, Colin played a very good game as well against the Impact. Yeah. A couple of amazing tackles that were, you know right on that borderline that he has to play at to to be good uh, as well contributed to that 2-2 draw um the two goals in what was two and a half minutes or something like that that yeah. was the story and it was completely cacao in, in in all ways those the way he set that up i think he'll get the goal of the week for for that uh tying goal as well but mckinney's goal was pretty solid too the chip from the edge of the box that just went in perfectly yeah, no, no doubt. And it's nice for him to get a goal as well. Yeah, um, we're talking about an elephant on his shoulders. 
Yeah. Um, I mean, the thing about Orlando, having watched all of their games now, oddly, um, is that it really is about shutting him down. And when they have not, when they've lacked punch, he has been, Kaka, I'm talking about, has been left out of the, he's just been blanketed, basically. You almost have to man mark him directly, is, is yeah. what you almost have to do, is just to be aware of him every time he's in the offensive third. Uh, if you could do that and you don't lose your focus for a few seconds, then then you're going to be fine again. They don't have a lot else to break you down. Um, we can, as Canadian national teams, hope that Kyle Larn develops into that player, but right now he's not there. Uh, I think, yeah, uh, sorry, but I think the absence of La Racima was really felt in last game, too. I think the fact that he's playing, well, not playing, but he's on the bench for Belgium in that famous international break during the MLS season, which you can ask a lot of supporters are not happy with this time around. Well, it really depleted both teams this Saturday, and uh, Orlando was the best of the depleted team. Yeah. And they got it to two to draw. It's still a point for Montreal. Montreal's still looking for that win in MLS play, which is you want to get that soon. But then again, there's not a lot going on in the Eastern Conference right now to get too worried about, I don't think. No, and it's um, encouraging the way Piatti played that game. He was a force in the midfield, dominant, was able to control the pace of the game. And that's what he's known for, and he's getting there. So it's, He's going to be very good this season, Mr. Nacho Piatti. It was almost like it was a step behind in the, at the start of the year, and I'm not too sure what that was about. He was in recovery. He hadn't recovered the first game. He hadn't recovered from four months ago. He was under the knife. And he finally getting the strength and the good feeling in your legs. And when you're having the confidence and you're feeling in your legs, you'll do the step overs that you are not comfortable to do if you think you have an injury still. Do you think, Kevin, to, to segue this a little bit into the conversation, I think that's on most impact fans' minds right now, that the CCL is sort of taking away from their ability to focus fully on the MLS season at this point? I think the success they do have in the CCL brings more pressure on MLS season when you have to remember immediate success in MLS means nothing right now. And if you focus on CCL for a month and a half, be it. It doesn't matter. We've seen Galaxy be able to do this and still win the MLS Cup. It, it, it doesn't matter. The first month and a half of the season, you need to... Uh, get accustomed to each other to play on the field. Results almost, not that it don't matter. You need to not get gaps again, like we said for the third time, uh, third week in a row. But if you just remain and build cohesive unit between your team and able to uh, create an identity of play, a style and confidence, eventually in MLS season, it's going to pay off. So I believe if it's focused in CCL, it's actually a good thing. And they need to tell the fans and the supporters that it doesn't matter if we're not getting results in MLS right now. It doesn't matter. Yeah, that red line is awful low on the table. There's a hell of a lot of teams above it, which is a whole other topic, but at any rate. Yeah, exactly. Uh, There's more team above than below, so don't worry. Yeah, so you just yeah, you really just don't have to get separated. I think 38 points might get you in this year. And I, when you have a teams like Chicago and company in your division, you should be fine. Yeah, I, have 40, I think it's 40 points is what the magic number is going to be this year. I, I really truly think that. Which is not high. Points. It's not high at all. You're talking about the weakness of the East, and, and uh, I also think that the Supporter Shield winner is going to come out of the East as well, because I think one of the teams is going to run away with it. And uh, the New York's a fascinating team too. Uh, we might have to get a New York uh, Red Bulls guest on uh, in the near future and talk a bit about that team because they've had a very interesting start. However, to keep this back on Montreal, let's let's look at the CCL and and the game down in Costa Rica. What is the excitement level in Montreal right now for that game? I think it's getting there. I think it's going to. In the weekend, it was about uh, close to 25,000 for the Orlando game. 
they did start to hype it up. But the fact that it's in Costa Rica, it, it does... It, if it would have been the same scenario as the Pachuca game, where the second game would be Montreal, I think the hype level would have been way higher. Now, it, it's people know that they have a good result. And I think people are cautious because a great thing can happen. Montreal can qualify for the final if they score a goal and don't allow or just a nil-nil. A lot of scenarios put the impact in the final. So I think people are being cautious right now, not trying to get overexcited and get their heart broken again. They just have that Santos Laguna feeling because it was the same scenario going into the second match, so you still have that in the back of your head. I was just about to bring up the elephant in the room. Um, we all know that the Impact did, in fact, get that away goal down there, and we're up 4-1 in that tie, and I don't think I need to remind Impact fans of how that one ended up. Exactly. So uh, you need this needs to be a reminder. You need not to be afraid of that situation, but you need to be aware of it. Yeah, it, fear is really what happened. And we're talking about ancient history now and yes. a different level and a different team. Different but the, type of level of team against uh, uh, a Santos Laguna team, which back then was way more talented than the impact. And it was a fluke, the result in Montreal. We all know that with hindsight. I think it's a different situation going this time around against a Costa Rica team. Yeah, it'd be interesting to watch that game. Uh, any viewing parties that you're aware of or anything like that? Absolutely. There will be Cash Saint Leonard again. That's where you will be able to find me. Same place I was for the first game against Pachuca. Come and see me if you're there. And let's uh, have a beverage together looking at the CONCACAF Champions League semifinal. All right. I'm sure you'll have an off the woodworks that follows that game Absolutely. as well. Um, let's move to uh, the, the, the Whitecaps. Uh, big Cascadia win there and that has to have them pretty excited I mean after the the TFC loss to not a great way for them to start the year they they have gone on fire and, and had you know two wins over lesser teams but I, I don't think that uh, beating Portland is, is something to sniff at so a uh, good win for the Whitecaps there but the, the talk of the talk the talk of the day was Robert Earnshaw coming on and scoring his debut in his debut game for about the millionth time did his, his career back up yeah no, he always scores in his first game um, Defoe did that too before uh, before he went to Sunderland. But at any rate, Ty Kamara did the same thing with the Canaries too. And look where he went. he's at now. TFC destroyed Defoe. He ended his uh, debut streak after that. At any rate, um, Earnshaw—that's a signing that has intrigued a lot of Caps fans out there to be a secondary scoring to give Rivera a little bit of a break to take the pressure off there to have something coming off the bench. A lot of people are suggesting that that might be a missing piece that might take them from a playoff team to a championship contending team. Um, you know, I'm reluctant to go that far, which probably shocks people to say here, but, uh, you know, and I'm reluctant to go that far because I've, I've seen Robert Earnshaw yeah. up close and I think he is, he can be a, he's like a shooting star. Robert Earnshaw is a shooting star at MLS in his later part of his career. He probably will have a hot start, but there's something that happens with him after a few months with the team. I don't know whether two players adjust. I don't know whether, he starts to get lose motivation. I don't know what happens, but he has not been able to finish what he started in any of his MLS stops so far. And we all know MLS. It's not how you but you start, but it's how you finish. And maybe this with a combination of when he can't do it, he can't come. Maybe the dramatics does it, the sec, like the third striker. But I see the Urncha signing as really a disavowalment of dramatics. I think they're finally given up on the whole Maddox project. Yeah, that's where I was going to go with this. It does this mean Darren Maddox's time is done? Um, certainly, maybe uh, Vancouver two player. Oh, that'd be something to see. I don't know. <laughs> first he, round, first draft overall pick, not playing for Vancouver two five years later. 
Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure he has personality for that, and uh, I'm not sure that's the right fit for him. Sure. I think that they'd be far better off to to trade him uh, to someone might be interested in. Him. Although he's international from uh, pretty much every team in MLS, well, for every team in MLS, unless Kingston Jamaica's got a team that I'm not aware of. <laughs> yeah, they don't. Um, so yeah, the, it's it's a tough ask there, but uh, certainly you know we've been talking about um, about Maddox on this show for a year now, and uh, he always sort of just every so often will jump up and do just enough to keep you interested and then fall into a funk for a couple of months till we start talking about whether he's done or not. But eventually they're going to have to, uh, well, there's a famous saying in English about uh, making a decision about what you're going to do on the pot that, uh, that I'll, I'll bring up here. Uh, they're going to have to decide whether they're going to use the pot or get off it. Um, Kevin, let's talk about TFC, I guess. Uh, yeah, did you did you see that headline that uh, MLSsoccer.com used? I don't think I did. No, why don't you tell me? RSL falls to uh, Toronto falls to RSL. That's so Toronto. Well, yeah, they're talking about the late goal, and certainly the late goal is something that, that we will consider. But they're the part of it they're missing. And look, I'm not one to to get into referee blaming, but that was. There, there was an absolute, complete missed call in this game that would have totally changed that game, yep. 100%. The goal, um, the Heinemann's goal was good. Well, yeah, Nick Haglund scored. Uh, yeah, Haglund scored. Sorry, he scored a goal that should have counted, that would have made it 1-1, and then TFC scored the next goal. So it, it really was a 2-2 draw in many ways. However, look, the funny thing is when they scored the goal. Uh, Jackson scored in his debut this season. He'd been uh, uh, attending the birth of his child, so he was a couple weeks behind in training camp. Uh, I think you'll probably see him work, work his way back in the starting lineup, much to the chagrin and joy of, of alternating parts of the TFC fan base. Um, after the, it was minutes later, it was seconds later, really, I was sitting on the couch. I watched this game at home, and um, the other half here said, you know, they need to focus before they let in, and I went, you mean a goal like this as it was going <laughs> towards the head? Like you could see it coming. They just – they relax. There's a great stat out there and I can't give, directly quote it. But it, it shows that the teams that score are something like 50% more likely to be scored on in the next two minutes after they score the goal than in any other team during the game like statistically speaking. It's because they just – they let down. The excitement, the joy of the moment just makes you lose focus for a second and that's exactly what happened. They didn't track their man. They didn't track their man on the back line on two – on both of RSL's goals. So and that could be when you score it, even when you get scored on, just look at Montreal. The second goal was another floating moment after you either score or get scored on for some reason for two, three minutes. You sometimes a team just doesn't recover. Yeah. And it's frustrating because yeah. <laughs> it's TFC played a decent game over the course of the whole 90. They, there's actually a lot of encouraging play there. Uh, they held a lot of the ball. They they produced some chances. They got uh, Javinko into the attack a little bit more. Uh, they After kind of a lackluster first half, they sort of dominated a lot part of the second half, and they pulled the goal back at the right time through, you know, some pretty grit and determination and all that sort of good intangible stuff. But then two moments of madness screwed them, and you got to get rid of those mistakes. That's That is so TFC. Those moments of madness have always been what destroys them. They're not that far removed except for they lose focus. They lose some kind of like mental fortitude at the wrong time and give up the late goals. It was a Tobias time goal. They 89th minute, I believe, was the winning goal, So, which are so killer. I mean it's so killer as a, when you're watching it as an observer because it's just so fatal. It's like a sudden death overtime goal in hockey. It's just like it's a stab to the heart, right? Yeah, Which but there's destroy- no way to come back. 
it destroys the soul of your fan base. And that's what TFC has been doing for eight years. It's been taking the soul of their fans, throwing it on the ground, spitting upon it, jumping on it, giving it an elbow, a DDT, <laughs> and then throwing it back out into the garbage. Like that's what it's been doing for years. And that's what they did again on the night. So you can talk logically about how good all these things were, but you still just got DDT'd. It's yeah. my little reference of wrestling for you, Kevin. On the concrete, no padding, got injured. That's Jake how it snake. feels. Exactly. Jake the Snake. Boom. Just look at the Jake the Snake, the DDT did to uh, Steamboat. Yeah. That's I exactly have. how it feels. Yes, exactly. That is the Jake the Snake is the TFC experience, being Jake the Snake anyway. Um, who won WrestleMania, by the way, Kevin? Uh, well, it's uh, Seth Rollins who cashed in his money in the bank on Roman Reigns, but Brock Lesnar is literally the best thing ever. There you go. It's Fair like enough. Brock Lesnar, if you see him, just run. Just run. I'll, I'll, I'll pretend I know what you're talking about. Exactly. How did, how did Ric Flair do? Actually, he showed up and he chopped somebody. Woo! That's all you need to know. All right. I think, Kevin, on that note. <laughs> I think we'll call it a day. Thanks for to uh, St. Clair, a band from Ottawa, for the music today. You can go on stclair.com, if I'm not mistaken. Give me one second, I'll get you the exact... stclair.bandcamp.com You can listen to East Ending, their single that's out right now, and you can buy the album. Great music, and thanks, John, for the music on this show. He's a good voyager, so go help them out. 